Man, uh, what a great preview of senior adult camp coming up in August. Uh, I'm just kidding. You know how I know that's not senior adult camp? Senior adult camp is even crazier than that. And so uh, uh, on that note, if you haven't signed up for senior adult camp, you can right out in that lobby. Uh, but we are so thankful for what God did at VBS and Thrive. Uh, Vacation Bible School is uh, a week of uh, kids from completed kindergarten all the way up through sixth grade. Uh, Thrive occurs in the evening for our students, uh, and it's a, a time over the summer to come together and learn about Jesus. And man, the things that God did. Julie, did I describe that right? Is that okay? The things that God did at VBS and Thrive. If you see uh, uh, someone walking around in the preschool or kids area, uh, or in students on first, second, or third floor, um, and they have still some uh, red in their tear ducts, uh, and they look a little bleary-eyed, it's because they gave their time and probably some blood, sweat, and tears uh, last week pouring into kids. And we're so grateful that we have people in our family that do that. Uh, turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18 is where we'll be this morning. I'm Tim. Uh, if I haven't met you before in here or online, would love to meet you afterwards online. Uh, you can text welcome to the number that's on the lower third there, and we would be glad to follow up with you, uh, and I'd, I'll give you a call. So do that, and that'll happen. Uh, Acts chapter 18 is where we'll be this morning, and we are talking about something that, well, affects every family that I've ever met. Maybe it doesn't affect you, uh, or maybe it doesn't affect your family, uh, but for the both of you in the room that might say that, for everybody else, we all have people in our families, we all have people in our lives, and, well, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say all of us deal with fear and anxiety, don't we? Uh, maybe you don't have to stand in front of people and say that you do, but uh, I'll gladly stand up and say, I do, and I have, and I've taken medicine for it, and uh, I have learned figuring out how to navigate that, and I'm grateful for those that have helped me learn to navigate that. And so if you're in here today and you have ever dealt with, have somebody in your family that deals with uh, or know someone who deals with fear and anxiety, I want you to know that well, Acts 18 is going to help us learn something about that. Acts 18 is going to help us see uh, someone named Paul who was an apostle that we've been learning about for several chapters of Acts now, who is coming to a point where he's kind of had enough. In fact, the way that he comes to this, the threat of the word of God moving forward is very real, at least through him and his ministry, so much so that in Acts chapter 18, verse 9, Jesus, you'll see this on the screen, Jesus confronts him uh, to, and compels him in his fear and says this, do not be afraid. Uh, do not be afraid. It's uh, the way that Jesus says it. If you're a Greek nerd, he is interrupting something and commanding him, stop doing something that's already been happening. So when we jump into this text, Jesus is going to address a fear of Paul that has already started. 
And when you think of the Apostle Paul, when you think of someone who has just about single-handedly or will continue to uh, preach the gospel to the known Gentile world, when you think of someone who has gone in every city, endured beatings and trials, uh, who has spoken the word of God over and over, when you picture the Apostle Paul, do you picture someone who has come to a place where he said, I have had enough I'm afraid to keep doing this. How do we know he was afraid to keep speaking the word of God? Well, just look at verse nine. Jesus says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and don't be silent. Have you ever been to a place where your fear and anxiety have caused you to stop or be afraid of doing what God has called you to do as a follower of Jesus. Uh, Maybe that fear is based in the reality that you're single and you don't wanna be single anymore and the future of that reality is incredibly scary and there's an incredible anxiety that's with that. Uh, Maybe you're single again after so many decades of marriage and you don't know what the next 20 years looks like. Maybe that fear and anxiety is built into that. Uh, Maybe your boss on last Thursday said, when you get back on Monday, I know you get off at five o'clock, but come see me at 4.45. I have a very short conversation to have with you. And that's been riding on you all weekend. Fear and anxiety, it's that feeling that happens there. But in this text, that kind of fear and anxiety is tied to the mission that God has called Paul to, to preach the word of God everywhere he goes. And so for you and me, it looks like whenever we know that we're supposed to speak the word of God to the present situation or to those around us, and we're just not sure if we should or if we can, Or we know those people that are going to say those things and do those things if we represent Jesus. And so what might happen causes us to not do what God calls us to do, that fear and anxiety. Or maybe at work you're afraid of opening your mouth or in your family you're afraid of opening your mouth or in your marriage you're afraid of opening your mouth because you just aren't sure what will happen if you were to speak God's word into a situation with an opportunity that he has opened up and it's causing you to be silent and not speak. In other words, if you're human and you're hearing this, this text is going to help us see how Jesus drives Paul through the fear and anxiety that's causing Paul to stop doing his ministry or at least be tempted to stop doing his ministry. And in fact, in the, in the book of Acts, this is like a big moment. All throughout the book of Acts, nothing so far has been able to stop the word of God from going forth through the people of God. In Acts chapter four, as Pastor Eric has walked us through the book of Acts, in Acts chapter four, do you remember how Peter and John, they get arrested for preaching that Jesus is Lord and showing people from God's word how this is true. And even in that arrest, the word of God continues to go forward through God's people. 
In Acts chapter 5, the apostles are again arrested. They're put in prison. They're tried by the same group that tried Jesus. And y'all, we know how that turned out, right? Not seemingly so good for about three days. And then Jesus showed, you can't hold me with this. And then like in that moment, the word of God continues to go forward in Acts chapter 5, even though things were getting difficult for the apostles. In chapter 6 and 7, you know, Stephen preaches the word of God. He is a deacon, and he teaches, and he preaches, and he's forcefully arrested and beaten, and he begins to preach even in that moment. And so they pick up stones, and they stone him to death. But even stoning the messenger of God, God moves his word forward through the people of God that see it as they're scattered. In Acts chapter 8, Saul began to arrive, this dude who was charged by his Jewish leaders to stop this movement, dragging whole families out of their house who were learning the word of God and arresting them and persecuting them. But even the, the, uh, the, the, the persecution of the entire Christian population by the uh, Jewish established religion in the area could not stop the word of God from from going forward through the people of God. And then Jesus confronts Saul, who is Paul in this text. And even as Paul knows who Jesus is, the very first thing that begins to happen is people get really upset that this guy is preaching Jesus and they plot to kill him. And so in that, even the word of God goes forward through the people of God. Continuing on in chapter uh, 12, King Herod, like the ruler of the whole area, does not like what is going on with Christians talking about the word of God everywhere they go. So they arrest James and behead him, and then he sees that, wow, this is pretty pleasing to everybody, and so I'm going to arrest Peter with the same plans. God intervenes, and in that process of persecution, God ends up killing uh, Herod because anyone who thinks they're God dies. That's just how it works. And God doesn't like that. He doesn't like that in me. He doesn't like that in you. Didn't like that in Herod. It doesn't work out well. That's a tangent. But in that process, the word of God goes forth through the people of God, even as the government is beheading people for talking about Jesus. We go into chapter, uh, we go into chapter 13 and 14, and now Paul is on mission, and he gets chased out of a place for teaching the word of God and helping people understand that Jesus is Lord. And then in chapter 14, uh, the people who do that chase him to where he is, and they stone Paul outside of the city. Uh, The city, oh, this is so good. Y'all should read this. We went through it. They start start, like worshiping Paul as a god, and he's like, no, no, you're you're worshiping the wrong guy. Like, that's, that's not me, just because Paul did a little miracle. And they're like, this is good. He's like, no, that's not me. And then like literally some people show up and say, let's stone him instead. And they're like, okay. So they go from like worshiping as god to stoning Paul. And even in that moment, you know what Paul does? He recovers, goes back into the city and starts to preach the word of God. Then we get into chapter 16. Man, Paul and Silas get arrested. This was a couple of weeks ago. And they're just like singing praise songs to God and teaching the word of God at the top of their lungs in prison. And then boom, earthquake happens. The word of God goes forward in Philippi. That even that arrest, even the K 
chaos of that moment. Now the word of God is going forward through the people of God into uh, Philippian jailers, into Roman society. It is spreading like wildfire, wildfire, and on and on and on it goes. And now it seems like as we're going through, the word of God through the people of God is unstoppable. And with Paul the apostle, man, he is going forward with the same pattern. He shows up, he preaches the word, some people believe, a bunch of people get upset, they beat him, they run him out of the city, they stone him, they whatever. He goes to the next city, does the same thing. And as we're reading through, we think, man, God's word is unstoppable. Paul is going at it. But then we get to Acts chapter 18, verse 9, and something is happening that may prevent the word of God from going forward, and it's this, Paul's fear. His anxiety. I'm going to use those words interchangeably because that's what this word means that Jesus is confronting. It means uh, not so much he's in a scary situation, but rather that he is uh, frozen and anxious about something that's going to happen in the future. And so now this is where we enter this text. Because when it comes to our fears and our anxiety, there are some things we need to understand that Jesus does with Paul that are going to help you and me know what to do and how Jesus can overcome our fear and anxiety so that we may move forward in fulfilling the call that God has on our lives of teaching everyone everywhere about Jesus. As we look at fear and anxiety, at the fear and anxiety of Paul, there's nothing that makes sense as to why he would feel this way. Like, as we're reading up to verse 9, you'll see it's not like the Bible says, and Paul was like super anxious about this, right? Just suddenly out of nowhere, it seems like everything's going okay, and then Jesus is like, don't be afraid. Do not have that fear. Look at what I mean in this and watch how the text flows. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, okay, after Paul left Athens, oh, that's what it says. After Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them. Okay, this is an important thing. Oftentimes, we think that in our fear and anxiety, if I just got out of a relationship or got a better relationship or had more friends or had less friends or had the right friends, then maybe I wouldn't feel the fear and anxiety that I have. And while there is some truth to that, and God gives us wisdom and boundaries when it comes to having healthy, beautiful, fruitful, godly relationships, the truth is we know that even in the middle of having great friends and great situations and great circumstances, out of nowhere, that fear and anxiety can hit, can it? And look at how it continues on. You would think, well, maybe he's cut by himself and Aquila and Priscilla, who end up being lifelong ministry partners later in the book of Acts. Like, maybe they're not really good friends. They're just his employers. Look down at verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, okay, so now in this text leading up to verse 9, Paul has Aquila, he has Priscilla, he has Silas, he has Timothy. These are like like, these are his, like, Theo bros. Like, these are, like, the guys that come around him. These are his ministry 
partners. These are the guys that he knows and loves and has bled and worked with. This is like, I mean, he's surrounded by people that he knows and still he's going to have fear and anxiety. There's something that needs to be addressed different by Jesus than just having the right earthly relationships to allow Paul to move forward even in spite of his fear. Do you see that? Look at the second thing. Look at the second thing continuing on. He continues on and uh, going back. Uh, He had a job. He was uh, making tents. And then verse five, uh, when uh, Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. Okay, so this is where the NIV kicks the butt of the translations of every other one because the NIV helps us understand this weird nuance that, these, uh, that this phrase has, the idea that after Paul and Timothy arrived, Paul was now able to fully commit himself to the work of preaching the word. You see, sometimes we base our fear and our anxiety on whether or not, uh, or base it in, I just don't like what I do. If I had a different job, I wouldn't feel this way. Now, y'all, jobs bring fear and anxiety, don't they? I mean, uh, okay, I think they do, right? And y'all think they do as well. Ask anyone in the military, they'll tell you. (laughs) It brings a little fear and anxiety, and here's the reality. When Paul was, enters into verse 9, he begins without a job. He quickly finds a job doing something he already knows how to do. And then something about Paul, uh, Silas, and Timothy's arrival, probably a gift from Philippi, if you read the book of Philippians, something about his arrival allows Paul to do fully what God has called him to do. He, something about their arrival allows him to now fully commit to uh, preaching and teaching the word of God there in Corinth. And yet still we get to verse nine and God, Jesus has to intercede and say, Paul, don't be silent. Don't fear. Keep speaking. Y'all, if you're in here today and you struggle with fear and anxiety that's crippling you from doing what God's called you to do because of your work. I want you to know that it might not be your job that's the solution for moving you forward to fulfill your calling. In fact, it might be at your job that your calling is best fulfilled that Christ has on your life. So it's not that. Continuing on, he not only has uh, the right job, but he's also being very well cared for in that, that he can do this full time. But on top of that, Paul is having a very fruitful ministry. Now look at verse, uh, continuing on in verse six. Uh, and when they opposed and reviled him. Okay, so oh, I didn't read the rest of verse five. Let's read all of verse five. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. He was able to fully commit himself to the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus, verse six, and when they, the Jews, opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. A little dramatic, but that's how it was back then. You would just like tear your clothes and be like, listen, this is on y'all. I've done everything I can. Like wipe your dust off your feet and peace. I'm gonna go and talk to people who will listen to the gospel. And so what 
Paul does is he then goes, he's not seeing any fruit. Okay, maybe that's why he's like, is this even working, God? Like, I'm not getting anywhere. Look at verse seven. And from there he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house, continuing in verse seven, was next door to the synagogue. Okay, if you don't know anything about Roman culture and how Corinth was set up, totally fine. The dude had a title and a house next to one of the most important places in the city. In other words, he and his family were important, and Paul saw him come to faith in Jesus. But not only that, look at the rest of the fruit that Paul had so far in Corinth. Continuing on in verse, uh, in verse eight, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. So Paul was also watching those who were ruling the synagogue. Crispus, who was ruling the synagogue, one of the few, the word is ark rulers. So like he was high up in the synagogue uh, uh, there in Corinth. Him and his entire family come to faith in Jesus. You find out at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, like he baptized all of them. They all believed in Jesus. He saw this happen. And then on top of that, not only uh, Titius Crispus, not only, uh, 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 oh, sorry, where am I? Titius Justus or, and Crispus, but also continuing on in verse eight, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. He's seeing fruit all over the place. So here's where we are set up. As we look from the outside, looking in on Paul, we see Paul the apostle who has been unstoppable with the word of God all the way up since the moment he was called by Jesus until this moment. He is in a city. He has friends. His bros are around. Uh, he's seeing fruit. He has a He's been being provided for in such a way that he doesn't have to worry about working in order to keep doing ministry. He has everything in line. And out of nowhere, Jesus has to come and say, do not stop speaking. Do not fear. That's how fear and anxiety is, isn't it? that even when it seems like from the outside everything is okay, on the inside, we're about to stop and give up. You see, the first thing we see about Paul's anxiety here is that it doesn't make sense from what we can tell on the outside. And that's how it is. If you struggle with fear and anxiety, you understand that reality. Everyone around you can say, yeah, but like, look what you got. And that doesn't really register. It doesn't matter. You still are frozen by fear. Here's the second thing. The second thing we see looking at this text is that, at least comforting to me, that Paul himself has Fear. Now, here's what I mean by that. Like, I understand that someone like me can be afraid and not want to keep moving forward. 
I'll even agree and understand that someone like you could be fearful and say, I just don't know how I'm going to move forward in this. But Paul? Like, there's got to be something broken with me or weird or wrong that I would hide the fact that sometimes I just don't want to because I just don't want to anymore. I'm not sure what it's going to be. And if you were to somehow open up and share that with me, I wouldn't be shocked at that. But Paul the apostle suffered with fear and anxiety to the point he did not want to even open his mouth. That's comforting for me. You know, misery loves company. Like, hey, okay, like I, this is good. I can, I, I, Jesus can do this. Like if Paul can suffer from this, man, of course I can. And here's the last thing and most important. Jesus, out of nowhere, speaks into Paul's fear, which means Jesus knows mine. Even though it doesn't make sense, even though everything may seemingly be okay, even though uh, 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 it might just be normal, it's Jesus knows my fear and anxiety. And he's going to speak into Paul's, and in what Jesus speaks into Paul's, I want you to know Jesus also has a message for you and what it looks like to deal with your fear when fear freezes, when we are frozen with fear. And it's this, ready? Here's the first thing. When we are frozen with fear, here's what Jesus is going to do with Paul, and here's also the application for us. Christ compels us to remember the promise of his presence. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, Paul, stop being afraid. Stop being uh, anxious about what's coming. And here's why. Go on speaking and do not be silent. Okay, that was the effect. And here's why. Uh, Here's what Jesus says as to why he wants him to stop being afraid. For I am with you. Now, this doesn't fix what Paul is anxious about. But it does confront his anxiety. There's something beautiful as a follower of Jesus about remembering when fear makes us feel alone that Jesus is with us. Like, Paul knew this, right? Like, if I were to just simply say, if you've been a follower of Jesus for, you know, any amount of time, and you were to come to me and say, I feel super anxious, and I said, well, Jesus is with you. You would say, I know, I know. This is a reality that we, no, this is a reality that Paul knows. Jesus has confronted him before. Granted, is when he was murdering Christians, but he's confronted him before and talked with him before. Like, he, he knows that Jesus is with him. He has watched God do things that you and I will only be able to experience through the replay uh, movie section of heaven when we're like, tell me, show me what Paul did in Athens. I want to see that, right? Like, it's, that's, that, I, I don't know if that's in heaven, but like, it is in my mind. And so, like, that's, that's the only, like, Paul has, a, he's walked through this stuff. And Jesus begins by reminding him, I am with you. 
in your fear and anxiety, you have to know at that point, just like every other point, Jesus, for those who follow him, for those who are called by his name, for those who are Christians, Jesus is with you. This isn't an area of your life that you have to hide from the Lord. This isn't something that he does not already know. But actually, instead, the gospel tells us that he knew exactly what he was getting when he got you, and he got you anyways. Isn't this the gospel, church? That not when you had it all together and were living right, but when you were dead in your sin, God made you alive together in Christ. It's not when you were walking in light and had all of the right thoughts and all of the right actions and uh, all the right ideas and feelings, but rather when you were walking in darkness that he transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. It's not like when you were, uh, uh, when you were, uh, uh, when you were walking in a godly way in holiness before him that he said, you know, they're doing pretty good. They're super holy. I guess they'll be with me. No, but rather when you were ungodly at that moment, Christ died for you. That's the gospel that God knew exactly what he was getting when he got you and he got you Anyways, that in your fear and in your anxiety, even if you don't name it, Christ knows it and he is with you even in that moment where you feel like I'm alone and talking to God and realizing he is with me is a beautiful battle to fight against fear and anxiety because he can do with that something you can't. Y'all, it is overwhelming when fear and anxiety attacks, is it not? He can do with you what you can't while you are frozen by fear. He can allow you in the middle of your frozen reality to continue to move forward in fulfilling the calling he has on your life. Now, the text doesn't say suddenly Paul felt really great and then he moved on forward and never had this struggle again. That's, that's not what it says. Because in reality, I don't know if that's what he did. That's not been my experience either, nor nobody I know. But in this text, it's comforting to know that Jesus knows my fear and that and is with me in that now. That how much more when I was his enemy did he, in making me his son or making you his daughter as an enemy of God, bringing you into your, his family and drawing you near him, how much more now as a son or daughter of God does God know you and comfort you and is with you? This is the promise of the Great Commission, isn't it? Jesus told his disciples, he said, go and make disciples. Uh, he, all authority on hev in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's his, he's God's. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, for behold, what? I am, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Look at the end of Revelation. You know who's with his people? Jesus. Y'all, you've got to know that as you struggle with that fear and anxiety that's crippling you from doing what God's called you to do, 
in that moment, God is not looking down saying, well, you better stop being anxious or else I'm not gonna help you out here. He's saying, no, in that anxiety, I'm with you in this. I'm with you to lead you through this right now. There's a stigma associated with fear and anxiety, isn't there? That if I believed better or if I had a stronger faith or if I did more right things or if I didn't sin that thing I did when I was 16 years old and blah, 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 blah. If I did that, then I wouldn't feel this way. Now, what's wrong with me? Jesus says, I am with you. It is okay to know that in the middle of your fear, Christ is with you in that moment. That's what he does with Paul, and that's what he continues to do with you and with me. We, we remember the promise of God's presence battling our fear and anxiety. Christ isn't going to leave me for a second in the middle of this, even if I feel like I'm alone. And here's the second thing we do. The second thing what we, when we are frozen by fear in this text that Paul does, not only does he remember the promise of God's presence, but he remains in pursuit of God's purpose, of his calling for him. Look at what, what, uh, how it continues, verse 10. Jesus says to Paul, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. Oh, isn't that a relief? He's been attacked every single time, and he'll get attacked again soon. But just like, he's like, right now, I'm gonna protect you. It's okay. For I have many in this city who are my people. And so what does Paul do? Verse 11, look at this. He says, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul continued to pursue God's purpose for his life in the middle of his fear. If you are a fearful or anxious person or you have fear and anxiety as a part of your life, if you are human, I want you to know that one of the beautiful things that allows us to see how Christ is greater than our fears is to move forward in doing the ministry we can do in the middle of our, in the middle of being frozen by our fear. Paul continues to preach. And so before we somehow think that like he's over it and this guy who was like super strong until this moment is now like the super apostle again of like preaching and doesn't care if he gets beat up and never has fear and has eloquent words and preaches and like can you know go toe to toe with like all of the philosophers in Athens. Let me show you how Paul limped forward here in Corinth after Jesus says, keep going, I got people here. Keep going. What does it look like? What does verse 11 practically look like for Paul to keep moving forward? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Here's Paul's own words of what it looked like to do the ministry of Acts chapter 18, verse 11 in Corinth. Are you ready? Here's what Paul says. He says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul, who is a trained rhetorician, who could argue and talk and debate all day long, says, when I came to you, all I could do was just say simple words. 
Continuing on, here's what he says in verse two. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We're not talking about a complex leadership uh, 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 situation here in Corinth. We're not talking about a deep uh, theological uh, interlocking uh, uh, argument with the rulers of the city. We're talking about Paul, who's moving forward in weakness, and just saying, Jesus, man, he's been crucified and he's Lord. Here's what the Bible says says, in about as plain words as any of us could muster. And here's how he continues forward. He says, and I was with you in weakness. Look, I'm t- I, look, the whole time. I was with you. So the whole time I was with you there in Corinth. This is how we know. His fear didn't just like miraculously melt away. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Do you see it there? God Jesus Christ was with Paul in his fear and anxiety to move forward and fulfill the ministry. The the only way Paul could in his fear, even though he was fearful and anxious. Here's what I want you to know. In uh, the, here's what I want you to know. Sitting in this room, I do not have any promises that today you'll walk out of here less fearful or less anxious. I want you to know I'm not a doctor and I don't know doctor things and if you take something for fear and anxiety, I have been there and I want you to know you should or some of you probably ought to. And I want you to know that's not what I can do. But here's what I can tell you for the sake of your soul. I can tell you that in the midst of when you feel like you can't go on, in the midst of understanding that Jesus is with you, but all I can do when he's with me is the best I can do in helping speak the truth of God to those around me. And it's not fancy, and it's not with lots of words, and I don't really know a lot of theology or whatever that is. I want you to know that that's exactly, exactly the kind of person that God uses to make an incredible kingdom impact in this world. And you've got to hear this. When you're frozen in fear, doing what you can and believing in God is an incredible battle and saying, I know I am weak. I know I am fearful. The only way I can do this is trembling for, like Paul's shaking doing this in his city. That's the only thing I can do. And you will see as God works and moves to use someone like you and me to spread the gospel and share the word with those around us. And that, my friends, is the best way to say and know for sure that's not true, is the best evidence that fear and anxiety are not ruling my life when you watch Jesus through your weakness and through your fear begin to rule those around you. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So what do we do with this? Well, if you're in here today and you struggle with fear and anxiety, the first thing I would encourage you to do is to rehearse the gospel. That's the application of what we've talked through today. Jesus knows your fears because he knows everything about you. And we know he knows everything about us 
Because the gospel says, even as we were, that's when Christ died for us. He knows the thoughts that you have. He knows the anxieties in your heart. He knows the thing that you think might happen if you said this to that person and that person found out because they've already gotten mad at you about this. He knows all that stuff. And in the middle of that, would you take some time to name how you feel in the middle of that and say, okay, but because of the gospel, I know that Jesus knows that and he's with me. Here's what I mean. You might be rehearsing going to work or school this week and think, if I were to say Jesus is Lord, whatever that would look like in your context, I don't think I know how to say it the right way. I don't know if I'm strong enough to defend what would come back. And I don't know if I'm clever enough to work my way out of that conversation without losing relationships or even a job. And I'm weak, I'm not that smart. What do I do? I'm afraid of that. That, rehearse the gospel. Are you weak? Yes, you are. But man, Jesus is your strength, is he not? Do you have all the right words? No, probably not. But Jesus loved you before you even knew what words to say, and he promises to be with you. You know that because of the gospel. Might you lose relationships and a job for, uh, for uh, speaking about Jesus? You might. But because of the gospel, who do you know has eternal care for you and your soul? You lose your job for that, blame Jesus. He's got you. He's got super broad shoulders. Rehearse the gospel. Here's the second thing. Not only do we rehearse the gospel, but also, if you're here and you're frozen with fear, engage in ministry the best you can. If you said you don't understand, Tim, I'm, 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 I can hardly even show up at church. I want you to know that showing up at church it's like 99% of ministry. Ask any ministry leader, Kevin, am I lying? When it comes to working with people and being a minister of the gospel, 99% of it is showing up. You can say the wrong thing and God still will use it. It's amazing. Oh, I wish I had time. I can tell you all sorts of stories where I walked away like, how did God do it? Like, that was weird. I, I was trying to offend that guy and he used it like, it just doesn't even, you know? Just show up. If that's all you can do, if that's all you can do, I want you to know, man, when you begin to show up, trusting God that he does what he does through people like you, you'll see that he is who he is. And while you may be like Paul years later writing like, dude, I was fearful the whole time with you guys at Corinth. And like a decade later, whenever the kids in there, you're like, I remember you teaching us about whatever. And you're like, I was scared every single week. 
Like I, all I could do was show up. And you'll see how God uses that. I'm telling you that one of the greatest things that you can do is get at doing what God has called you to do in the middle of your fear and anxiety. Yes, talk to somebody about that. Get some help with that. But also know that Jesus is with you and he uses people just like you right where you are. So that being said, let's respond in those ways. Let's go into a time of prayer in the room and online. And if you are in here and you're a follower of Jesus and fear and anxiety is crippling you, is freezing you from doing what God's called you to do, where you are in your work, in your family, at your school, uh, in your neighborhood, why don't you just take some time to name the things that are Uh, that are keeping you from doing that, the best words you know how to God and say, God, now, what does the gospel say about this? And allow him to speak truth into your life. God, by his spirit and his word, is not silent. So if that's you, have that conversation. If today you would say, like, I, I know what the things are. Like, I'm, I know God wants me to move forward in ministry. I just haven't because of fear and anxiety of what it could look like or I might be too weak or whatever. Y'all, here's what I'm gonna say. Just do it anyways. Like our job as pastors is to help equip you to do that. If you're fully equipped, we're gonna hire you. You know, like that's, that's, the, I don't, that's not true. Eric's not here, so I can say that. So in that, in that like, like you're, you're, you're not a fully equipped, nor am I. I need people to help me get equipped. But if all you can do is what you can do and you say today's the day to begin doing it, at the front there's gonna be some people right after the service, no, actually right now, Seth is gonna be right out there at that next steps area and your invitation, your response is to go there and say, I wanna do something and Seth is gonna know what it is. He'll help you figure it out. Last but not least, if you're in here and you aren't a believer in Jesus, I want you to know all that stuff about uh, believers who were dead and are now alive, who were in sin and now are righteous, uh, who are in darkness and now are in light. Yeah, you're still dead, in sin, unrighteous, and you are going to face God who is the greatest enemy you could have. You have no hope. Except Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only way that God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loves you while you're dead, while you're ungodly, while you're his enemy, even when you're like that, Christ died for you. By grace, you're saved through faith. It's it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works so that no one would be able to boast. It's all about God. So that being said this morning, if you are in here and you don't know Jesus and you don't follow him, today would you confess your sin and believe in Jesus? Would you know, as Paul proclaimed, the simple message that Christ was crucified and that you can trust him? We're gonna be up front to talk with you about that, if that's you. And that being said, let me pray and then let's sing this last song in response. Jesus, thank you for being good to us. 
Help us all to walk out of here more in love with you, more like you than when we came in. Give us the courage and conviction to respond appropriately to your spirit. We need you in this time. It's in your name we pray, amen.